Pastor Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 69 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds to explore a compliance or compliance-related issue each week. Today we take up the issue of Steve Wynn, the Me Too movement, and the role and responsibility of the board of directors at Win Casinos over the allegations of sexual misconduct and harassment by Win over the years. <clears throat> we explore the structural defects in the public corporation, Win Casinos, which allowed the board of directors to approve a $7.5 million payment to a woman who was sexually harassed by Win, and the role of a board of directors more broadly when you have a charismatic leader who, without his leadership in the corporation, could be viewed as detrimental to the company. We also consider the recently released, or recently announced rather, penalty by the Federal Reserve Bank against Wells Fargo, and whether the government regulators from various types of industries, banking, gaming, anti-corruption, Securities and Exchange Commission, will begin to look at the role of the Board of Directors in assessing risk. It's a fascinating exploration into the weeds of a very topical event. I'm sure that uh, you will enjoy it and have lots of uh, issues which will raise questions for you to consider in your own compliance program. This is Tom Fox. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, back again with Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, where we take a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic, literally going into the weeds. So uh, this week, um, I would say this week's news, but it's almost daily news under this administration, Matt, uh, is that Steve Wynn has resigned as CEO of the uh, Wynn Casinos uh, Corporation in Las Vegas due to sexual harassment allegations and uh, settlements of those allegations that he's made over the years. And you took a look at it from the lens, or through the lens, rather, of a couple of things. Uh, one was corporate governance, and also what I really thought was a really uh, interesting way to look at charismatic leadership. So uh, it's all uh, found in your blog post, so much winning you can't stand it. So why don't you uh, kind of give us your initial thoughts and where you were going with this piece? Well, yeah, I was really intrigued by this whole story. Um, and Clearly, as soon as the Wall Street Journal broke the story about his decades, apparently, of sexual misconduct, and they broke it on, I think, January 29th or something like that, but you knew Steve Wynn was going to go. Um, but then I started thinking about how did the board let this pervasive misconduct apparently go on for, for decades? And uh, then you get into the weeds of what would a company actually disclose about this? So I started poking around. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is that Steve Wynn was a great businessman within the casino industry. Um, not my particular cup of tea. I don't really gamble that much. But nonetheless, he has a huge string of really impressive business feats. And I think we have to start with admitting that, that he is very good at one part of his job, because only when we appreciate that do we start then to get a better sense of, so why did the board continue to tolerate his presence there when he had so many other shortcomings in his personal life? And when you are 
blurring the lines between yourself and your business so much, these things get to be really problematic. Um, right down to, you know, Steve Wynn, chairman and founder and CEO of Wynn Resorts, trading under the ticket of Wynn, Y or W-Y-N-N, like he is that company. The company is him. And when you look at the disclosures they make about risk factors um, for Wynn Resorts, for years they have put in right at the very first one. Our ability to maintain our competitive position is dependent to a large degree on the efforts, skill, and reputation of Stephen A. Wynn. And what are the implications of that when he also is conducting himself in such a reprehensible personal manner? And uh, that's, that's really what got me thinking about these issues and taking me to questions about corporate governance and how superstar employees, which Steve Wynn was within Wynn Resorts, how superstar employees, you know, what motivates them to commit misconduct and how can you put buffers around that? Uh, that's where I was going with this. So the um, obviously we had this uh, a similar situation in the Weinstein scandal, but it's yeah. um, uh, with Wynn, uh, it was a public company. So the duties mm -hmm. of, of the board were even broader, uh, and you correctly noted that they had said in their 10Ks that losing Mr. Wynn would, would create a material adverse event, event for the company. So we have truly someone who is absolutely critical to the company, yet we have a board of directors with an obligation to uh, multiple stakeholders, uh, including um, the uh, owners of the company, owners, owners of the stock, but also having to look out for the long-term interests of those, the company. And I was really gratified to, to, to read that you really put it down to, uh, one, the board doing their, their job, but even more than that, to have a rigorous set of controls and oversight uh, to hopefully, if not um, prevent, detect such conduct and then put in uh, either a regimen of training or some other form of discipline to deter the employee from engaging in such conduct uh, going into the future. Yeah, you know, I what I really was taken with was the idea, and you and I have talked about this before, and I've written about it before on my blog, is like the idea of using the fraud triangle as a way to think about how misconduct happens, why people do it, how you would prevent it. And the, the fraud triangle is pressure, rationalization, and opportunity. Now, I think, as I'm looking at Steve Wynn's case, in other cases like Harvey Weinstein and whatnot, that it doesn't actually apply all that well for cases of people like them. And so what I kind of immediately came to my mind was something that was uh, developed by uh, Tom, one of our other fellow anti-fraud thinkers, Jonathan Marks. So Jonathan, who is now a partner at uh, Markham Advisory, you know, Jonathan put forth the idea of the fraud pentagon for really sophisticated frauds and misconduct where the two other legs would be competence and arrogance. And I drifted towards that because clearly Steve Wynn is a competent man at the gaming industry. And secondly, he does have this enormous arrogance that he thinks he could do this. Um, let's be honest. I am sure that as one of the wealthiest men in Las Vegas, he probably did not need to harass many women into sexual favors for him because there were probably plenty of others there who would have been happy to oblige. Like, what's the arrogance that would motivate you to do this? Um, now, Jonathan had put forth 
the Pentagon with the competence and the arrogance thinking more about financial statement fraud, where you need technical expertise. And you're arrogant about it because if you're a CEO committing financial statement fraud, you are not a poor person who's doing this to make ends meet. Um, but I was trying to take those two ideas and apply them more to questions of personal conduct, like what we've seen with Steve Wynn. And in the same way that you have the, what I would say are countervailing forces in the fraud triangle, you know, for pressure, you would want culture. For rationalization, you would want more ethics. For opportunity, you would want more controls. I think what you want for competence and arrogance are probably to offset competence, you would want independence, and to offset arrogance, you would want good governance, or maybe the other way around. I think the countervailing forces would be governance offsetting competence and independence offsetting arrogance. But Really, those are things that the board needs. And my point was that the board itself should have built checks and balances into the whole institution of what Win Resorts was, so it could check the power of this overambitious, hugely gross appetite sort of a person that Steve Wynn apparently was. Um, but that's not what they had, and so they wound up just basically rolling over for many years while Steve Wynn did this very similar to what the board at Weinstein Companies did to Harvey Weinstein. I mean, they, they went along with everything that he was doing, and what he was doing was terrible. So, Matt, you even point to what many call just a basic good governance uh, structural uh, form of separating the chairman from the CEO. Could you flesh that out a little bit mm -hmm. for us? Well, I, I think that when you have somebody with such enormous power and charisma and, frankly, a, a lot of following, because if you're working for Steve Wynn for many years, you're probably thinking, well, this guy's been doing this for 50 years, and he's built some of the biggest casinos in Las Vegas. The next time you're at Bellagio or you're at Wynn Casinos or any of the others that he's built, like he built those. He transformed Las Vegas into what it is today compared to the kind of sleazy sandbag rat traps that used to be in the 50s and 60s. Um, so, you know, how would you offset somebody like that? Well, an independent chairman would be able to set their own agenda. An independent chairman would be able to shoot down uh, the CEO if the CEO, he or she, was getting to be too, uh, taking too much liberties with the power at his or her disposal, which is what Steve Wynn wound up doing. Um, I think this is also another great example of why you really need an independent compliance officer who is not the general counsel, who answers straight to the board, because otherwise investigating misconduct gets very blurry with how do we offset liability for the company? Well, Wynn Resorts was offsetting liability by paying off the women who suffered these predations of Steve Wynn. And, um, you know, as one great example, apparently he raped a manicurist for Wynn Resorts back in 2005 and then paid her off with a seven and a half million dollar settlement. Um, my point about independence and governance is that Steve Wynn could only have done what he did if, number one, he was good enough that he could generate seven point five million in cash laying around that we can pay off as hush money for a victim. And number two, have enough authority that I get to decide that's what the money is going to go for, um, which is different than 
a superstar employee who's like an assistant VP of sales who's making bundles of money. He might generate the cash, but he or she could not then say, let's create a special purpose vehicle. Let's put the money in that and then let's have that vehicle pay off my victim. You know, many lower level employees who harass and other people, they can't do that. They don't have the power. When you've got the power to do this and, you know, the ability to you know, basically the ability to create payoff systems and the power to push them through, that's too much power. That is that's too much power in one institution of the CEO. And then the person who's in that position, if he or she is of low moral character, clearly Steve Wynn was, that's how you get into these situations. So you need ways to defuse that. And it's much like the U.S. government when it functions the way it's supposed to. I'm not saying it functions the way it's supposed to these days. But nonetheless, the U.S. government was designed to be a system of checks and balances so no one branch could overween the other two. That's not what we had in Wind Resorts, and clearly that is what they needed because look at what happened. So, Matt, actually I saw this as, if not a straight line, certainly a, a curvy analogy line or a line by analogy to the Fed's uh, um, settlement with Wells Fargo last week. Mm -hmm. And the settlement was around, <clears throat> there was a, a penalty phase, which limited Wells Fargo's growth. But on the remediation phase, they required a much stronger board of directors and indeed required the bank to change out certain board of directors. And that the New York Times thought that the settlement was an attempt by the Fed to impress upon the boards of directors that they needed to be vigorous, independent watchdogs. And if they failed, there would be consequences. And even the Wall Street Journal, I thought, um, or I thought the Wall Street Journal was even more strident when they said that the settlement sent a message to boards of directors, not just management will be held accountable when banks fail to manage risk. And I understand there's a, a difference with perhaps what the Fed can do and a regulatory body such as Securities and Exchange Commission or even a state gaming commission would could or would do. But it seemed to me that uh, – there, there is a growing um, charge for having uh, the boards manage these risks more robustly, whether these risks be having a uh, very dynamic CEO who is uh, a key component of your strategy, growth strategy and success, to anti-corruption bribery programs, to your corporate culture at Wells Fargo, and um, I just think boards are going to come under more and more pressure uh, to be more involved. And, and at this point, they either don't seem to know which way to turn or don't seem to know which way to act. I, you know, I have some sympathy for boards, not much, but um, it is difficult for them these days. Uh, then again, that's why they make, like, what, $25,000, $30,000 a meeting or a phone call or whatever it is that they get paid. This is the job. Um but I was struck that really the Fed sent a very stern message specifically to Wells Fargo, but um, you know that yes, the board of directors is supposed to take a really strong role in structuring the organization so that you know, like I said, checks and balances so that no single force can really become so powerful that it can overwhelm everything else in the company and it, as much as I might like to compare a company to 
the United States government. It's not like the United States government. It's not a democracy. It is designed to place a whole lot more authority into the executive, the CEO. So boards do need to take a stronger line. Um, I will be curious to see if the Fed or other regulators do this again. It is worth noting, yes, that now Janet Yellen is gone and Jerome Powell is chairman of the Fed board. However, Jerome Powell did vote in favor of the sanction they gave to Wells Fargo. Um, on the other hand, I would be surprised, put it that way, if the Securities and Exchange Commission on, on any given year, let alone under a current administration and their generally light touch approach that they're taking. I don't know that, you know, I'm just, I'm hard pressed to see that the Securities and Exchange Commission would do something that drastic to a, a non-financial company. Um, you know, state gaming regulators, actually, I do think that they have a lot of power along those lines. Uh, I am based here in Boston where Steve Wynn had been building a very large casino project here in Boston. As soon as the misconduct story about him broke, State gambling regulators made crystal clear to the company, he goes or your big project that is half built, that's going to that that goes, you know, you're not going to finish this and open it unless he leaves. So he left. Um, that's a different way of throwing a very sharp elbow at a company. And it wasn't aimed directly at Wynn's board of directors, but I'm sure that they felt the pain of that. Um, I don't know that we might see something like that. There may be other instances of other industry regulators, maybe in healthcare or something like that, try taking a stronger stance against boards. But you'd need some really egregious misgovernance, which is what we saw and at Wynn and at Weinstein companies and probably at a few other places if we think about it. But I, I don't know how often we would see something like this. So Matt, it's a it's been a, I thought a fascinating story. Uh, one of the true uh, leaders of the our innovators in the gaming industry, second generation in terms of uh, in the uh, probably 80s and 90s, helped build Las Vegas to what we see today. But uh, I guess the thing that struck me about your opening remarks were the speed of his downfall and literally kind of yeah. the middle of last week. And uh, he had to resign from the Republican National Committee <laughs> as finance chair. And now he's had to resign as CEO of uh the company he's led for uh, multiple years. So um, if you're on a board of directors and you've had to uh, pay off uh, via settlements uh, for uh, people who were sexually harassed, women who were sexually harassed by your current sitting CEOs, um, you better be listening to this podcast and taking note. It, it, I mean, it, I, I suppose you could say it's sort of Shakespearean in its tragedy, but then again, that almost seems like it's doing a disservice to the great tragic figures in Shakespeare. I mean, Steve Wynn apparently was doing this for decades. Uh, it wasn't excusable then. It's not excusable now. It's just, you know, what did people think would happen? And here we are. So, Matt, as always, a great exploration into the weeds on the uh, fall of uh, Steve Wynn and how it intersects with corporate governance and uh, perhaps the role of the board of directors. Uh, until next week, thanks so much. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at, Matt Ke at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me, Tom Fox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you will join us again next week where Matt Kelly and I will take an exploration of a compliance topic into the weeds. 
in next week's episode. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.